Well, good morning. I'm Mark. I'm one of the pastors on the team. Um, thank you for joining us for worship today, whether you're here in person or online. Um, it's good to be together. Today, as we continue in this series, Love Thy Neighbor, um, just reflecting on the ways in which we'll be talking about peace today. And so, earlier in the spring, when Pastor Austin set vision for this series, uh, we had no idea that we would be talking about peace in the wake of such tragedy. And so, uh, I truly can't think of anything that is more antithetical to peace than bullets flying in an elementary school classroom. And this, this week, uh, this classroom happened to be in Uvalde, Texas. And it shouldn't be this way. It shouldn't be that 19 students and two teachers have lost their life as a result of incredulous evil caused by guns. This is not normal, and it shouldn't be this way, and yet, uh, for many of us, it's just become a numbing reality. Uh, this week, we, re- we responded to these incidents via social media, and this morning, I think it's appropriate, uh, and actually really necessary for us to mourn together, and I think it's appropriate for us to be angry together. And this morning, I think it's important to remember that as followers of Jesus, we are called to pray. We are called to pray, and so we will pray this morning. Uh, But we must never forget that as followers of Jesus, the words that come out of our mouths must always match our actions. Our words must always be accompanied by action because this is the way of Jesus. And so as we pray, and because we pray, as followers of Jesus, we are called to pray for peace. But we will not just be peacemakers. Uh, We will be ones who, as followers of of Jesus, uh, we will not just be peacekeepers. We will be peacemakers. And this demands a cost and an action from each of us, knowing that true peace flows from Jesus. And so as we do start this morning, I'd like to uh, pray together. So join me. Lord, we need you. Lord, we need you this morning. Uh, as we need you every morning, we need you this week as we need you every single week. And uh, Lord, we cry out to you for your presence, your faithfulness, and your peace to be made known in our world, in our communities, in our hearts. Lord, we pray and we think of each specific person that um, this week has been lost because of this violence. And we know that, God, that you... Hold them, you love them, Lord, and and that you hold our communities in the midst of chaos. So, Lord, we hold this tension also in this weekend as we um, commemorate and remember names that have been lost because of other violence. Um, Other violence defending um, our country, defending this place and and freedom that we uh, live into each day. And so, Lord, we we pray that this morning uh, you would speak to us, that these words would be your words, and, Lord, that we would just sense your Spirit moving us to action today. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Earlier this week, I was having conversations with a few families in our community, in our church, that um, just kind of talking about how we each process Things like this that, that happened um, this week. And, and I know it's not new to, to many of us, uh, to any of us, that uh, these events continue to, to unfold. And, 
And so really we each have a story, a narrative, um, feelings that, that we live into in, in seasons like this. Um, and for, for many of us, um, maybe we are too young or young enough to, to not know anything different. That, that school shootings or um, events like this are just the norm. And so it's so important to remind us that that is not normal. That is not a normal experience, even though it might feel as if it is in our lives. So on April 20th, 1999, uh, my mom picked me up from my first grade classroom in Lakewood, Colorado, and she was crying. Uh, It wasn't until we got back into our car that I learned that there had been a school shooting at a school just down the road from us, and that our family babysitter had been shot in the shoulder while in the library at Columbine High School. And so that's part of my story of um, ever since I was a kid, not even really realizing that that is not a normal experience for kids, even though um, many of us have just become so numb to it. And so I ask you today, what what is your story that you bring into this week? Maybe you have been so angry all week. Maybe you have um, felt numb. Maybe you really don't feel anything because you don't even know how to express uh, the chaos that is going on around us that maybe has not even settled into our hearts. And so this morning, as followers of Jesus, we are called to be peacemakers, and not just peacekeepers. And that will demand a cost and an action from each of us. And so throughout this series, we've been looking at um, what it means to love thy neighbor, to love our neighbor, and Specifically, this, this art of neighboring, and such a good reminder from Pastor Nancy that um, being a neighbor is, is not just a project on our to-do list, but, but it's a, a practice. It's a way of life. It's a way of following Jesus that really lives into the most important and fundamental pieces of what it is to follow Jesus, to love our neighbor as ourselves. So this morning our text comes from uh, Romans chapter 12. If you have a Bible, uh, please turn there. It would also be up on the screen. And um, we'll, be, we'll be camped out here in just these two verses for most of the morning. And, and, I, and I pray that they shape us and reshape us in what it means to experience peace. It says this, Romans 12, it says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, Live at peace with everyone. What is peace? What is peace as we experience this? Um, maybe for you it's experiencing the tranquility of being lost in the woods somewhere near Snoqualmie Pass. Anybody been there before where you just know that uh, that is a peaceful place? And uh, recently I've had this other experience of peace where um, Trey just a couple weeks ago started walking and so he literally does not want to sit still except... This one time, right before he goes to bed, crawls up into my arms and sits still and falls asleep. And so usually, like, uh, in this, these past few months, you know, I'd let him, like, sleep on my, my chest for, I don't know, a couple minutes, and I'd put him down. But I find myself, like, two minutes turns into ten minutes, turns into fifteen minutes, just holding him, knowing that I won't experience that much, and yet this little busybody all week uh, has that time of just peace as he falls asleep. And so, what is this peace 
that oftentimes we throw around in conversation in our community, in different movements throughout history, that we desire to have peace. But what is peace? So for the ancient Greeks, this, this letter in, uh, in the Romans, the, the letter to the church at Rome, um, there was this understanding of peace that uh, peace denotes a state, a, a state of peace, and not necessarily like a relationship or an attitude. And so um, for early Christians, they were very familiar with peace because there was this phrase that um, became uh, popular and adopted by uh, Augustus, the, the Caesar at the time, uh, Pax Romana. Has anybody ever heard this, this phrase, Pax Romana, right? And so if you're a history buff or if you paid attention at all in history class, it was a time where um, the Roman Empire was not at war, right? And so there was this idea of peace, And yet, this peace was really just a different type of peace because it was a peace that was fortified by military might. A false sense of peace derived by fear. In other words, there was peace within the Roman Empire until you did something that was antithetical to the government and then you would be put back into this peace pretty forcefully. And yet, it was a time known as Pax Romana. A false sense of peace, upheld by power, derived from military might. And so what is, what is peace in, in the biblical narrative? Maybe you are familiar with seeing that word peace come up uh, all the time throughout scripture. Um, but I think about this one word, and, and maybe it's a, a word that you know, shalom. Shalom is this Hebrew word that is oftentimes translated as peace in English. And yet the depth of that word is so much more, it transcends what we know as peace, uh, because this word shalom is, is one that upholds this phrase to make good, or to make it better, or to make it more fully complete. Shalom. And so we see this shalom play out all throughout this cosmic narrative of what's happening specifically in Genesis chapters 1 through 3, where um, there is this chaos that's looming all over creation, and yet as God begins to speak creation into existence, order is spoken into this chaos. That God is bringing into our existence a shalom, a peace from the very beginning. And then we see the arc of at the very end where, and in just a moment we'll see this picture of uh, what the prophet uh, Isaiah gives us in this beautiful picture of what the telos or the end goal of living in peace is for us as Christians. Peace is a gift from God that comes with the presence of God. It is this eschatological promise, this end hope that we have, that we live into in the future, and also an invitation to experience now. Check out these, this verse uh, from Isaiah chapter 9. I love, I love this picture because it gives us imagery of what peace is in the kingdom of God. It says, In that day the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion. And a little child will lead them all. The cow will graze near the bear. The cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. The baby will play safely near the hole of a cobra. Yes, a little child will put its hand in the nest of a deadly snakes without harm. 
Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for as the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with people who know the Lord. Is that not good news that we have as followers of Jesus, that that is the intention that God desires for us in this hope to come? But, but it also is this tension where we live into this hope of peace in this beautiful picture of, of what it will be in this eschatological promise, but also it's this very real reality in front of us right now. Uh, same words from a prophet, this time from Jeremiah, uh, says this in Jeremiah 29 verse 7, a chapter that maybe many of us are familiar with. It says, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you in to exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. This invitation that we get from the prophets to take this hope and this reality of this beautiful picture of what it is to live in peace and harmony together. And God says to the Hebrew people, in a time of exile, when they'd been ripped away from their home and taken into a new place, to seek peace where I've planted you. What an invitation for us, each one of us in this room, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, to seek peace where I've planted you. Uh, in, uh, in my, this later, later in college, my seminary uh, years, I got to go to, um, to Jerusalem on a trip, 12-day trip to, to Israel. Um, it, was, it was incredible. I got to uh, do like the historical tour, the biblical tour. Um, but something happens, or happened to me at least a lot of times when I would go um, into a place or out of a place, or when I would just walk by somebody on the street, or um, even when we'd be welcomed into a, a banquet or a dinner or, or whatever it might be. Um, this word shalom was a greeting, was a farewell, was the sense of extending friendship that I'd never experienced before. Right? And, and so again, if you, if you recognize the reality of that word shalom, it is this completeness, right? This wholeness that is to be made right. And so in, in Hebrew culture, right, this, this word is one that shapes everything. It shapes a welcome. It shapes the ways in which we interact with one another because it ultimately is what holds together all of life, this shalom. I had a, um, went to Azusa Pacific for, for school. Shout out to the, the Cougs. Yeah, okay, there's one. Shout out to the Cougs. Yeah. Um, and so uh, we had a president that every time he would get up and speak, maybe Britta, you remember this too, um, after, he would, uh, after he would speak, he would just say, shalom, go with God. Right? And for, for us as students, like, when you have your life so busy and cha- uh, crazy and chaotic with so much going on, or, or maybe uh, you're in a spot where you're just parenting right now, and every day feels like a time to just get through, or you're living in just a really, really chaotic time, peace might not feel like our everyday experience. And yet, that is the invitation that God gives us from the beginning of time. And so uh, this morning, uh, we are going to practice a practice that is an ancient Christian tradition that um, we've done a couple times in this place, but, but we're going to turn to one another and extend the realities of the peace of Christ being here with us now. So whether you're joining us online, you're sitting around the room with your college roommates, or here in this place now, I want you to turn to someone really quick and just say, the peace of Christ be with you. Ready, go.
<clears throat> the peace of Christ be with you. The peace of Christ be with you. What you just said to your neighbor and what you just received from your neighbor is may it make right. May it be good. May it be made right. In a time where it feels like so much is wrong, may it be made right. But this threat to peace is rooted in evil and a desire to thwart what is good. Maybe for you that is uh, playing out in so many different ways, but really, really, peace is threatened by evil that manifests itself in chaos and destruction and harm and maybe even death. Hear these words from this text this morning. It says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Of everyone. In the 16th century, nearly 500 years ago, uh, the Christian church was in turmoil. There was so much corruption, division, and disagreement, mostly in the West, and much of which could be traced back to one central issue, one central question 500 years ago. It was this, is what is salvation? What does it mean to be saved? The salvation stemmed from works, from Faith alone, does it have to do with what the church can do for you? And, and, and ultimately, this was uh, the birth of the Reformation. Um, and Luther, Luther's 95 Theses were this pivotal spark of what we know now as the Reformation, where the Christian church was forced to reconsider the ways in which we lived life for a very long time. Nearly 500 years later, we are in a season of major division, and disagreement as a church, would anyone agree? Whether you call yourself a Christian, whether you follow Jesus regularly, or you are very uncertain about what it means to even be in a relationship with Jesus, we can all agree that the church has gone astray in ways that we have left this call to peace. But in this time, I think this new question 500 years later has emerged. I think our current question that we as a church is, uh, must wrestle with and grapple with and ultimately are held accountable is, is really simple. What is the image of God? More specifically, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? Think about all the different hot-button issues in our day right now that, have, that pertains to, to race or gender identity and human sexuality, abortion issues, violence, and gun control. Each one of those has something to do with the human value of life, the sanctity of life. So earlier this week, uh, Pastor Nancy and Austin and I were having conversation in light of recent events, and um, the conversation kind of turned to what we as a church can learn from where we've been, where we are, and ultimately where we need to go in this next season. And, um, and it really helped us kind of boil things down into two perspectives. One, um, that human life is holy because every human life embodies the Imago Dei. And so that is something that despite whatever comes for us and before us, that we have this lens that human life is holy. And secondly, that the collective, the collective thriving is more important than simply the rights of an individual. And I know that's messy, and I know that is so uncertain at some points, but 
if truly human life is holy, that we are made in the image of God, and that is the foundation of us to seek peace and to be peacemakers in our lives and in our community, God is inviting us to be the reflection of that same peace that we experience ourselves. But living at peace with our neighbors might require the honest exercise of genuinely seeing life from their perspective, even if it's totally different than ours. I grew up in Colorado. Um, I grew up uh, about 20 minutes west of Denver, but my my grandparents lived on this farm uh, out in the prairie, eastern side of Colorado. It's more like Kansas, just to give you a picture of it. Um, But uh, there, um, I can't tell you how many times I saw my grandpa... um, have to uh, pull out a gun or a shotgun to get rid of uh, creatures around um, that were pests or um, to kill a rattlesnake or the, the times that I've seen um, my, uh, my family have to, uh, to use violence in order to, um, to justify something that uh, was going on on the farm. And, and so for me, that was like something that for my whole life, like that was just so normal. Like my neighbors owned guns, like my family had guns. Like, that was just part of who I was in my life. And then I moved to Southern California, and then I got this job as a youth pastor in um, inner city, uh, it was Azusa, in inner city of Los Angeles, yep. And, uh, and I started to serve families, mostly immigrant families, mostly middle, uh, middle class, uh, lower class families. And most of those families had been ripped apart by gun violence. And most of those families had lost somebody in their immediate family because of gun violence. A couple years ago, um, I was sitting with a youth pastor um, from Seattle, and we were actually sitting at a 7-Eleven. We were praying in the parking lot of a 7-Eleven, which just 24 hours prior, one of his students had lost his life because of gang violence. And so there was this disconnect that happened in my life that continues to still happen in my life where I, I, maybe I grew up in one way and yet because of life circumstances and because of the ways that I've seen my neighbor live, I've been forced to change and to reconsider what it means to live as a faithful follower of Jesus because of this call to peace. And so I don't know what that change will continue to be for me. And I don't know what that change will be for you, that invitation for you, but what I do know is that if we are, as Christians, going to be matching what we believe with our hands, it's going to require some change. Collectively, individually, as a church. And so, as we, as we wrap up this morning, um, I want to talk about, about you for a minute. And I want to talk about you and your relationship with conflict, okay? And so um, I think there's like this spectrum with conflict. Maybe even you uh, hearing that word, you're like, I cringe, I do not like conflict. Or maybe you're in this room and you're like, I was made for conflict. I love conflict, right? So I think there's kind of this spectrum, right? Where at one end of the spectrum, I'm, I'm just using this, this word or this idea um, that, that you're kind of a doormat, right? Where any type of conflict comes, you just lay down and people just like come right over you, Right? And maybe on the other end of the spectrum is, uh, is this bulldozer, right? Where when you experience conflict, like you are the one who just full steam ahead and just goes right over the conflict, right? And so um, each of us are in, on this spectrum somewhere, right? We're either this doormat 
or wear the bulldozer. And if you don't know which one you are, you're probably like really strongly either one of those. And so ask somebody that you know that will trust and be honest with you. Um, but, but I think if you don't, if we don't know ourselves well in times of conflict, like how are we ever going to be able to love our neighbor and seek peace, be peacemakers in our community if we can't even live with the turmoil inside of us, specifically when it comes up in conflict. So if we are, if we are going to pursue peace, true peace, it will begin, and ultimately the world will be changed with deeper self-awareness of ourselves through the work that the love of Jesus can do in us that allows us to see the humanity, the Imago Dei, in our neighbor. These words from our text this morning, it says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you. Live at peace with everyone. Earlier this week, I was watching an interview. It was of my babysitter who had uh, been shot in the shoulder and survived Columbine. It was just a few years ago on the 20th anniversary of the events, and that survivor was talking about the lasting trauma she experienced that day. But she said this, hear these words. She said, around the 13 to 15 year mark, I realized I was giving so much power to the shooters. They had still had such a hold on my mind. From then on, I wanted to choose the way these things would impact my life going forward. Fear and chaos surrounded her, surrounds us each day, and yet this choice to be People who seek peace, who make peace, is one that begins and ends the love of God. And so question, what change might you need to make in your life as we move from just being peacekeepers, ones that just like to keep the peace and gloss things over and make sure every, everybody's okay? What, what does it mean to be moving towards peacemakers, active participants in this shalom that God invites us to live into each day. Maybe you need to, as I do, reevaluate the ways we've, we've approached the sanctity of life, repenting of the ways in which we've allowed policy or politics to drive our motivations instead of our love for our neighbor. Maybe we need to change the way we desire to always be right, and in the process, bulldozing our neighbor instead of being motivated by love to live at peace with our neighbor. As we end today, I think about this table that's been sitting up here all series. And the thing about a table is, the table is a place where a meal happens. And a meal is something that as Christians we're very familiar with, because it's ultimately uh, the essence of what we practice and participate when we receive communion. And and yet the meal that that we as Christians are familiar with is, is kind of a paradox, Right? Where the paradox that, that Jesus is offering his life freely to you, that the peace of God is being offered to us freely. At the cost of Jesus laying down his life for us. This paradox of peace in the midst of violence and chaos and death that our Savior and Lord endured. And so the simple invitation that I think as a pastoral team we were wrestling with this week, like what what do we do as a church 
in seasons like this, to seek peace in our neighborhoods, to be with neighbors. Here's this one simple invitation for us today. Evaluate the ways in which you share meals. With your family, with your neighborhood, with your community. Like, what what role does the table have in your life? In what ways is God inviting us to use a table in order to spark conversations about change? To remember that it's so easy to hate somebody until you sit down and have a meal with them and things begin to shift. Our perspective begins to change as we live into the shalom that God is making it right and we have the invitation to participate in. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with one another. I'd like to invite um, the band back up and uh, we'll pray and, and then we'll be able to respond in this, this time of what it means to, um, to be peacemakers in our community. So Lord, would you, would you search our hearts today? God, would you allow us to evaluate and to reevaluate the ways in which we have fallen short of being peacemakers in our world, in our community, in our neighborhoods, in our homes? Lord, may we see the ways in which you invite us to the table being the same invitation to extend other invitations to peace to our brothers and sisters, to our neighbors, to our world. And Lord, we know that it is because of you, it is because of your sacrifices, it is because of your love that we experience peace. So Lord, to see peace come in our world, may we press into you. May we seek you first. May we desire the things that you desire. And may our growth in you and our growth in relationship with you and our proximity to you, may that just move us to be people of peace. Jesus, because you have shown us the way. Continue to show us the way. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.